The Old Testament reading is Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. And the New Testament reading this morning is from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, which is on page 1051 of your Pew Bible. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Sherman. Um, I love that passage from Luke. Uh, but we are not talking about it. Um, (laughs) We're going to focus our attention on Psalm 84 this morning, Um, uh, which, I don't know, it was on page 588 if you're someone who likes to follow along. Um, So I don't know if you remember, if you were attending, paying attention during the reading, but it's like, my soul cries out. Uh, It is like full of desire. Like the author can't find enough words uh, He says, my soul yearns. No, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh, they cry out. Like, it's really intense. Uh, And sometimes it can be hard to relate to a psalm like that. Um, Just full of all-consuming desire for God. 
Uh, I read this article that said pretty much the opposite of the psalm. Uh, the author wrote, sometimes I want a hamburger more than I want God. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, there have been seasons where I have been yearning and fainting right along with the author of Psalm 84, and there have been seasons where I have just wanted a hamburger. Um, and there's lots of reasons for hamburger seasons. Uh, <laughs> reasons for the season. Uh, <laughs> anyway, there's lots of reasons for that, right? Sometimes it is actually the work of the Holy Spirit in you, and you just have to wait it out. God is doing a thing that maybe you don't need to understand. Uh, Sometimes it's just that you're exhausted, like Elijah running away from God and just like he needs a nap and a snack, right? Um, and sometimes I think it's maybe we're a little bit more part of it, um, and it's because we have forgotten who God is. We've become bored um, with some boring version of God who is not the God of the Bible at all. We've just forgotten. Uh, J.B. Phillips, uh, a long time ago, wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. And in it, he goes through a whole list of these unreal gods, he calls them. Uh, the gods who are not our God. These small gods who kind of spark our boredom and our frustration. Uh, so he talks like, for example, each chapter is a different one. And so he talks about the residential police officer the false god who is the still small voice who makes you feel guilty and unhappy, watching your every move and coming down on you when you make a mistake. It's, it's really an overactive, guilty conscience that you have given the title God. And if you are following the residential police officer, I'd imagine that you would do uh, what he says out of fear of punishment, but you would probably also rather say, also say that a thousand days anywhere else is better than one day with him. Uh, the Grand Old Man is another popular one that I've talked about recently. You know, the huge man with the long white beard and the white robe. Uh, very friendly, kind of out of touch. Tends to be white, so there's lots of problems there. Um, and maybe, maybe you have some respect for this Grand Old Man. Maybe you feel kind of comfortable in his presence, but there's certainly no yearning or fainting. There's no crying out. A uh, favorite of mine, one that I like to fall into, is the vending machine god. Uh, that's the God that I don't have to pay any attention to until I need something. And then when I feel like it, I drop in my prayer requests like so much loose change. And I, that God is supposed to spit out an answer, like a cosmic candy bar. Um, that God is not only boring, but often seems broken. Never quite so reliable as an actual vending machine. I appreciate the convenience when it works, but there is certainly no desire. There are any number of these distortions, right? False gods, unreal gods that we mistake for the real thing, and then we wonder why our worship is dead and why we're struggling to pray. All through the Bible, people forget who God is. It's a very common theme. Uh, they need to be reminded. One of the most repeated words in the book of De Deuteronomy is remember. And even with all the instruction, we know the Israelites forgot again and again and again. Um, this is kind of embarrassing, but just leaving aside God for a minute, I, I will also forget who Tony is, uh, my husband, <laughs> if you don't know us. Uh, I forget who he is with amazing quickness. Um, like, we share a house and a bed and kids and a job even. We are together 
all the time, and I regularly have to be reminded that he's actually a good person and that I like him. Uh, <laughs> sorry, babe. Uh, it's not his fault. Like, <laughs> we've been married, uh, tomorrow is our anniversary, uh, we've been married for just about 12 years, um, and it still happens regularly. Um, I actually just had a nightmare about him last night, and it had nothing to do with who he actually is and everything to do with my own fears. Um, I get in fights with like this imaginary version of him in my head, uh, and that imaginary version of him is like mean and heartless, and if any of you have ever talked to Tony, you know that that is not true. Our real conversations, even when I'm angry with him, go way better. <laughs> um, and we started going on date nights, uh, and it has actually mostly solved the problem. I notice now the forgetting if we miss a week. Um, and I feel cheesy, kind of cheesy about it, but we have become that couple who's like all about date night. Um, <laughs> and it's totally, this totally seems silly, but I like can't remember who he is unless I sit down and have an uninterrupted conversation with him, unless we have some fun together, like just the two of us. And in writing this down, like, you know, my manuscript, in writing this down, I started to wonder if, like, maybe I'm not alone in that. Maybe I'm just like, I think it might be a blessing that I actually can see it. Maybe there are a lot of marriages that just don't have enough rituals of remembering. Um, and we get stuck in this buildup of, like, stress and logistics and old, unchecked fears, and we just forget. And I am starting to think, I mean, I don't know why this feels new for me, but it does feel new. <laughs> new. I think faith is like that too. Like this hurried pace of life with like all of our frustrations with like some Christians out there. I think Jamie said like there are a million and one reasons to hate Christianity. Like yeah, to hate Christians particularly. Um, like some kinds of theology that just like, ugh. And like my own exhaustion with the state of the world and longing for it to get better. Old memories and trauma working behind the scenes. Like maybe these things just kind of start to cloud our vision and we forget. Sometimes we need to do a little work to remember the reality of the living God, the God of Jacob, the Lord Almighty, who the psalmist longs for with his whole being, a God who is big enough for our fervent worship. So um, since we have this psalm before us, let's ask the question, like who is the God that the psalmist is worshiping? Who is the God who calls forth all of his deep, deepest desires, all this passion and longing? The God for whom the psalmist would give everything just for a moment in God's presence. The God to whom even all of creation is drawn. You catch a note of that in the birds, even the sparrows and the swallows have found a place for themselves, a place near your altar where they can raise their young. Like, who is that God? And we have a few clues in the psalm. It's not like a complete description, <laughs> which you can't ever get. Uh, but the psalmist has a few notes for the reasons for his love in this particular outburst. Um, in verse 11, we read, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Um, this is the only place in the Bible where God is called a sun. And that, that's S-U-N, sun, not sun. Um, 
And that's likely, that's likely because a lot of uh, surrounding cultures had sun gods, and the Israelites were trying to avoid any confusion, right? Uh, but the image of sun can teach us a lot about our great God. I mean, even like the lighting in this room, does it not teach us something about the grace of God? John Calvin said that the sun vivifies, nourishes, and rejoices the world. And those of you who can get a little depressed in cloudy Michigan winters, you know that there is no joy without the sun. But so much more than that, this whole world is sustained by the sun. Without it, there is not only no joy, but no nourishment, no warmth, no growth, no life at all. All of it is given by the sun, and so too with God. God is not a vending machine or like a nasty, critical voice on your shoulder, but our very life. We only exist because God desires it. And every good gift, every bit of beauty and awe that we find in this place, it is all from God's hand. Think of the things that you love the most, that bring joy to your heart, like your family or your friends or your pet, a delicious meal, laughter, art, the beach, the breeze, whatever. What is it that you love the most? That is God's gift for you. God sustains it all. God is a sun. The things that you love only exist because God's love shines on them and holds them in being. And you can only love them because God's life is in you too. I think of those people who lay out, like who love to lay on the beach in the sun all day tanning resting in the warmth and sunshine. Like maybe in those moments, they know something of the joy of resting in the presence of our God. God is a sun. And the psalm says God is a shield. A shield, of course, is like a symbol for protection. The whole purpose of a shield is to stand between you and your enemy. It catches the blows that should have been yours. Our God is a shield. And don't we see that all through Scripture? A woman of ill repute comes into a dinner party, pours perfume on Jesus' head, and cries at his feet, and the Pharisees and the disciples together, they sneer. We could have sold that perfume, used that money to serve the poor. Doesn't he know who's touching him? And Jesus says, why are you picking on her? She has done this beautiful thing for me. And he was her shield. And when the rejected, or resurrected, <laughs> when the, was rejected also, when the resurrected Jesus serves breakfast to Peter, the betrayer, Peter in his shame, who has gone back to his old job, he's fishing again. Jesus lights a fire and makes him some fish and has a hard conversation, burning off the shame and inviting Peter back. And in this moment, and in so many moments, in his relationship with Peter, Jesus has been his shield, protecting him even from his own self. Jesus' death and resurrection are a shield for each and every one of us. Jesus took on the misery of our sin so that we might be free. The blows that would have been ours became his, because God is our shield. 
The Lord bestows favor and honor, the psalm says. Um, Those words would have been heavy with meaning in a culture that is based around honor and shame in a way that I'm not sure that we can understand. Even if it's like fully explained to us, it's the kind of thing that lives in your muscles. Um, But there are a couple of ways to understand these words in our own lives, I think. First, as you walk in the ways of God, if you truly follow Jesus, not just like coming to church, but allowing yourself to be shaped by the gospel more than you're shaped by the news or the pressures of work or by your fears, as you are shaped by the gospel, you more and more become a person of wisdom and virtue who others respect. You know, that's one way that the Lord bestows favor and honor upon you in your community because you are transformed. You grow in peace and patience and gentleness and courage and integrity and perseverance. And those things bring favor and honor. But secondly, and more importantly, I think, when God calls you God's own beloved, it silences every other voice. Other people might like us or hate us, but God alone can give us identity and worth. Stop us from swinging back and forth on the opinions of others. God's, never, God's love never ends, it never weakens or fails, it never wavers. And it alone is the truth about who you are. In God's eyes, you are worthy of God's own descent into the flesh and then even death on the cross. Each one of you, God's beloved, dear child, the apple of God's eye. And no matter what the world wants to tell, about, tell you about who you are or what you're worth or how you could be better or who's better than you, the truth is you are favored by the Most High. God loves you, and after that, there's just nothing more to say. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Um, There's another trait that I want to touch on. So let's back up to verses 5 through 7. It says this. This this part of this passage is why this is one of my very favorite psalms. Um, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. The God who the psalmist worships is the God who makes our lives and even our suffering worthwhile. The valley of Baca means the valley of weeping. The psalmist pictures a dry and deserted deserted desert valley But as these pilgrims whose strength is in the Lord, as they pass through it, it begins to transform into a place that is full of life and possibility. I imagine some broken down traveler walking through a desolate land. The earth under her feet is crusty and dry. Her throat is just hoarse with thirst. And it just seems hopeless and never ending But as she takes one step after another, the ground behind her quietly begins to bubble with water. 
And at first she doesn't notice, but above her, in the pale, bleak sky, one small cloud begins to form in the distance. And it slowly builds to a mass as she drags along, until finally the rain starts to fall gently on her face. Only then does she look back and see what that dry place of suffering has become. It's covered with pools, signs of new life beginning to peek through the ground. It has become a place of blessing for her and for all those who would come after her. That's what our God does with our pain. It's no longer meaningless suffering, but God works through it to make it a blessing for the world. I mean, you probably already have a story like that in your life. Maybe you can imagine it. Maybe you've forgotten for a while. Maybe you went through that space but forgot to look back and see the life in it. And we've all struggled through some dark place. And it is always that those places of pain become blessings to others. Well, not always. People like to say, you know, suffering can make you bitter or it can make you better. In the hands of God, it always makes you better. (laughs) And maybe that's because that blessing comes because of the ways you have changed. Maybe that blessing comes because of the ways that you can offer compassion in a new way. And God uses our journeys through the desolate places to bring healing to us and to others so that they too, others, might be able to to see their valleys of weeping too as places of blessings, that they might become springs. Like a pilgrim traveling through the temple at Jerusalem, we do this together as the people of God. God is a sun and a shield. God bestows favor and honor. God blesses those who heart, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage, that the valleys of weeping may become places of springs. If you find yourself in this place of boredom or frustration with your faith, more likely to seek a hamburger than to seek God, and pray that you might see who God really is. And begin the search for the Lord God Almighty, the living God, the God of Jacob, who the psalmist longs for with his whole being. You guys, I'm missing a page or something. (laughs) Just kidding, I found it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I want to, it's not enough in this to come to church on Sunday. It's just not. And like, sorry, Zoom people, I know if you have to be there for, there's lots of reasons you might be there. That's great. Do it. Even one of those reasons might be you have to stay in bed and have coffee some morning well, instead of coming into a building. Great. Do it. Also, there are times when we just don't engage things because it's too hard. We think that just sitting and watching is going to be enough, and it's not. It's not enough to just like watch, whether here or on Zoom, to just watch church. You have to participate. 
It's not, it, that's actually not church. The church is the community. We come here and worship together. But you have to engage. And not just like volunteer at church, like that's good and that's a way to engage. But you have to pray. You have to like read your Bible sometimes. <laughs> and I know that can be hard and there's a million ways and you have to discern what is the way for you. But I, I do want to say, if you want this kind of desire, it's just not enough. And I can say that because I'm the pastor and I have to work through scripture every week and I forget in the days between. And then I sit down and work at my sermon and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the most beautiful thing. But I have to, I'm forced to sit down. You all don't have that benefit. Um, the psalmist is singing of this journey towards the temple of God. That's, and that's the place, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, I think, where heaven and earth touch, right? God has chosen. And so I'm going to run through some stuff real fast because I've talked for too long. Uh, you should watch the Bible Project videos on both the temple and on heaven and earth. They are like five or six minutes. They are so beautiful. And this is like important and amazing theology. So just watch those videos. Bible Project, temple, heaven and earth. Um, and lots of this is coming from there. Anyway, so if you think of like heaven as God's place and earth as, God, as our place, um, they used to be one, and then they kind of got ripped apart with the entrance of sin. And the temple is the place where the two kind of overlap, like the Venn diagram, right? It is the place where, the God, where God Almighty chose to dwell, making a home there in order to be with us in the way that God once was with us in the Garden of Eden, in paradise. Like, I love thinking about these people walking towards the temple. I'd never thought about this before, but I wonder if they could feel God's presence as they approached. Like the way we can sometimes feel the Holy Spirit. Like, could you imagine if, like, as you walked to the temple, it just got stronger? That might do something to incite your desire. You know, things have changed since the times of the temple. We don't make these pilgrimages anymore. Jesus came, and Scripture calls Jesus the new temple, the new place where heaven and earth touch. And so you see, as Jesus travels around, how healing and hope and justice and goodness, all of this goodness of Eden seems to like seep out of him into the world. And people are healed, and people are set free, and people are called to righteousness. Because heaven and earth are touching in that space. His life, his words, even his sufferings becomes the light and life and hope of the world. Things changed again when Jesus gave us the Spirit. And in that moment, you and me, we became the places where heaven and earth meet. Now we don't have to go to the temple to know the presence of God because of the work of Jesus and by the, whole, and by the Holy Spirit God has chosen to make God's dwelling place in you and among us. 2 Peter 2.5 says, You all are living stones being built up in the temple, into a temple of the Holy Spirit. 
you are the place where heaven and earth meet. And to the degree that you are in step with the Spirit, your life and our life together can be the place where the kingdom of God breaks into this world, where healing and hope, where justice and goodness enter into this place. Like now our pilgrimage is no longer to the temple, but straight into the heart of God. That your whole life might brim with the presence of God, that our life together might be something of the paradise of Eden, of that place where God and people walk together. that together we might know something of what the new creation is. Let's not settle for boredom, for just coming to church. Press in. I mean, you have to figure out what that means. I can't give you a prescription. It used to be like, you have to do your devotionals every day, and honestly, for me, that's true. When I don't, it's not good. Um, but like, I don't think that's true for everyone and I don't think that looks the same for everyone. You have to pray about that and work that out. We'd be happy to give you spiritual disciplines you can try out. Our Christian lives aren't just about getting to heaven, escaping hell. They are about the bliss of knowing God now, the sun and the shield, the bliss of living in God's presence now. Sometimes we're going to go through bored or difficult seasons that are actually part of the journey, right? Like walking through the Valley of Baca before you turn around and see. But even in those difficult places, let us try to remember the God we worship. Our God is a sun and a shield. Our God bestows favor and honor. Our God makes our lives and even our pain blossom with the glory of God and with the peace of God's coming kingdom. Our God lives and is worthy of our worship. Let's pray together. Lord, we uh, journey together into your presence. May we know what it means to be the temple of your Holy Spirit. If we're bored or jaded or angry or exhausted. Lord, I pray that you would revive us. I pray pray that you would show us who you are. That we might see that in our times of prayer, that we might see that in the way that we love and are loved. That we might know that is true for us as individuals and also true for us as a community. 
Lord, may we hold this gift carefully and worship you um, as you are. In Jesus' name, amen.